going on? It's Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we hung out with Des Rocks over Zoom video. Daniel, aka Des Rocks, was born and raised in Long Island, New York, and he talks about how he got into music, says he was kind of the black sheep of the family when it came to an interest in pursuing music. He was really drawn to the violin at a very early age. In high school, he started playing guitar and writing songs. And at 13, he played CBGBs in New York. We talk about how he toured at a very early age, got his law degree while touring, ended up working for a major label as a lawyer, started a project with his best friend called Secret Weapons, and they signed to Epic Records. He talked about that what led to the hiatus of Secret Weapons and forming Des Rocks, opening up for the Rolling Stones, and all about his brand new single called Manic Memories. You can watch our interview with Des Rocks on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be awesome if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Des Rocks. What's up? How's it going? Hey, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm good. I'm good. Cool, man. Well, nice to meet you. I'm Adam. Nice to meet you, Adam. Uh, where are you based at? I'm actually in Nashville now, but uh, spent pretty much or my entire life in California, uh, San Diego and San Francisco a little bit. And my family and I recently moved to Nashville about a little over a year ago. And we absolutely love it here. Oh, killer. I, I love uh, San Diego. San Diego is the best. <laughs> You're from uh, New York? Yeah, New York. Cool. We'll talk about that. Uh, this is a podcast about your journey in music and how you got to where you are now. And of course, uh, about the new single you just released. Killer, is it um, audio only, the podcast? We do video and audio. Okay, cool. Are you cool with video right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Sometimes people are like, oh, let me, you know, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, you might have a dog running into the shot a few times. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the beauty of Zoom and uh, this, this style of, <laughs> of interviews. Yeah. Cool, man. Uh, so born and raised in New York. What part of New York were, did you grow up? I grew up um, in Long Island mostly and then okay. spent a, lot, a couple of years in Brooklyn. Um, and then I've been living in Manhattan for the last many years. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. And uh, how did you get into music? Do you have a musical upbringing, musical household? Um, not really. You know, for me, there was no like watershed moment or, or obvious path into music. It was just something that I was always intensely drawn to from a very young age. And it was very innate uh, very natural and I was almost more like the black sheep of my family in that sense. <laughs> Excuse me. Bless you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you. So, okay. Sorry. So you, you, oh, yeah, you're more the black sheep. No, 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 You're, you're I, more of the I black end every sheep. Sentence with, I end every sentence with a sneeze. It's like my period. Uh, okay. Now nah, I know. I know. <laughs> no, all good. Oh, so you said you were the kind of the black sheep of the family when it came to that? Yeah, for sure. It was definitely like not a, a super musical area that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. um, and my family wasn't super musical by any means. So yeah, 
What did you, what were you drawn to first? Like, did you play piano at an early age? Uh, were you in voice lessons? Like, how'd you start out? It was really a uh, violin. You know, I remember seeing the older kids walking around, like holding these little cases with these beautiful wood instruments inside. And I was very drawn to that. Um, and I just like begged my mom from a very young age to, to play violin. And what year, did, like, how old are you when you got your violin? Or I was second playing grade. It? Really? Uh, yeah, wow. second grade, yeah. And did you continue with it? Did you play it through, you know, middle school, high school, orchestra, anything like that? Yeah, I, I continued playing um, all the way through high school. You know, I really? did. And, and kind of like around ninth grade, I, I discovered guitars, maybe a little earlier, like eighth grade. And then, you know, then I kind of split my time and I was, I was very obsessed with guitar after that. Okay. And what were you like? Were you a fan of music that had violins in it? Or was it just like that was a whole different path plus and then the guitars came and you were listening to something totally different like what drew you to the guitar later on yeah it's not um it's not as cut and dry because i just kind of liked all the above to be honest i loved rock and roll music but i also loved orchestral music i love classical Mm -hmm. music um i think there's just like a foundation of melody Mm -hmm. in classical music that i really appreciated and kind of became uh instinctual to me and then um a lot of that ended up translating to the music I ended up making. Okay. And were you writing songs at all? Like when it came to guitar right away? Oh yeah. I was, I was writing right from the beginning, you know, I would learn other people's songs, but I wasn't so good at learning other people's songs. Um, like I'd be like a terrible hired gun guitar player. So like <laughs> okay. if you had to like learn somebody else's track, it would take me like weeks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I always just had a very uh, independent mind with how I wanted to play things and do things, and how I want things to sound. So I would just kind of write um, as a means of expressing that individuality, I guess. Okay. Yeah. And uh, did you, were you in a band or anything? In high oh, school? I, was in, I was in tons of bands. Yeah. Starting in, okay. in ninth grade. Um, all I wanted to do was be in bands and, and play shows. And I would be in these like, you know, pretty like good, but like, kind of like funky, like punk bands, not funky musically, but just like, a couple kids just like figuring it out mm-hmm. um, and spent many, many years of my life touring at like a super, super DIY level, playing in shitty bands, rolling amps into rec centers, Legion halls, empty bars in Queens, Brooklyn, Long Island, New Jersey, um, and playing for 10 kids and driving four hours and doing it again the next night, 10 kids, 30 kids, 50 kids, moshing in a basement and then often just sleeping in the exact same place where the show was um, getting up next day and doing it again. Um, and that early experience playing in those punk bands and all those years of, of super DIY touring really define who I am as an artist today. For sure. When was that? Like, how old were you when you started doing those tours? Were you still in high school at that point? Oh yeah. I was in oh, wow. ninth grade. I mean, even like, even before anybody in my band had a license to drive, like I would have, like my parents would drive me to shows in Queens and just wait. And, um, that's cool yeah or, or like i remember we played a show in connecticut like my guitar player's dad just drove us up there and we played the 30 people and he waited and we came out and we went home you know it's like uh anyone who any way we could do it no one the, the whole key in high school was to be in a band with somebody who had a driver's license okay because then that opened up the world to you you know what sure. I mean? um so yeah those are super formative years for me i mean with uh, public transit being such a big part of New York and, and the lifestyle there. 
do people or like would you guys ever like try to get on the subway with all your gear or is that just like something that you would never even attempt so i guess if you're a drummer that'd be a nightmare but like yeah well i mean the good thing like about shows in new york city is that there's often a back line no matter how shitty it is but the venue will have their own amps their own drum kit oh, all you have to bring okay. is your guitar and your pedals okay. everything else is provided so i've done that a few times but also like i would just take the train to the city many times just with an acoustic guitar and okay. I would just show up at a bar at 15, 16, play some songs I had written like that morning to 10 people, 20 people. And then you're kind of like immediately kicked out because you're not 21. Mm-hmm. But there's some loophole that people believe in that's not even true, that you can still perform at the venue if you're not 21. Um, and yeah, and I would I would play those shows. I'd, then I'd have to leave right afterwards. And then I'd take the train home. But I was just an acoustic guitar, so that was a lot easier. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I, it is funny how that is, right? Like you're allowed to pretty much play at, and that this goes for like almost a lot of different countries too. If there's like an, a drinking age restriction, it's like, yeah, you can come in and play, but right when you're done and right before you can't be hanging out in here. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, like, so, it's so weird. I was like, then how do I sound check? You know what I mean? Like, right. um, how do I pack up? I uh, know you got to bring the stuff outside to pack up. Like I played CBGB's when I was 13. And, really? Yeah. Like oh right gosh. before it closed, like right before it closed. And uh, I took the train in the city with a guitar, just used backline, me and my bandmates. And we played and then immediately had to leave, like immediately had to leave. Um, I've, I always thought that was so funny. Um, same with like the old knitting factory, I remember too. Wow. And um, yeah, no, it's just like, I also don't think anybody knows what the law is. And this is just something we all believe in. Right. Like, there probably really isn't much of a law or there, maybe the law is just you're not allowed in there. And they're like, well, he's just performing. <laughs> yeah. People would just have made up their own exceptions. And like, we sure. kind of, I'm like, I'm pretty sure it would like vary by state, but no matter where I've gone, everyone's like, you know, that old saying, you can come in and play, but then you have to leave. But I don't think anybody knows the actual legality is. Right. You know? There's no like federal law that states if yeah. you're going to come in and perform at a venue, you can be under 21, but you must enter and leave immediately. Like right when you're starting and done. That's funny. Not a lot uh, of governing statutes about like <laughs> sure. shitty punk bands. You know what like, I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're that big of a target for, for most places. Top legislative priority. Sure, yeah. sure. <laughs> Well, okay. So from what I'm reading, were you in uh, Secret Weapons? Was that kind of like the first uh, project you did? That was like my first band that like transcended um, like the sort of like ultra DIY world that uh-huh. I had lived in. And mostly just because of like the streaming age where mm-hmm. we were able to just put music out and like whatever happened, happened. And that was a duo with myself and one of my close friends from high school. Um and a very, very different kind of musical exploration as well. And what, sure. I, what I do just purely on my own. Yes. And I was listening to it and I did see that. Were you a, you were a lawyer? Or you are a lawyer. Is that correct? Yeah, I went to law school. Um, I mean, there's a really good hack where if you can go to law school, you can live in New York City for free because they provide housing. And there's only oh. one test at the end of the semester. And that test is worth 100% of your grade. So you can go tour in a van. You could go play shows all around New York City. As long as you're studying during those eight hours a day that you're doing absolutely nothing, sitting in a van or waiting to go on stage, you can just kind of show up at the end of the semester and do pretty well for yourself. Um, and I also come from a place where I was able to like do whatever I wanted. You know, I, I definitely didn't come from a musical family, but it was like get an education, support yourself, live in the city, 
and you can do whatever you want. And then for me and people like me who come from that background, it's always about like working on music so hard at night where you get to the point where you could eventually quit your day job. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And uh, that was a struggle for many years of playing shows at night, working during the day, going to school during the day, and just like chasing that dream of, of being able to do it for real. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting though, that, that you were able to, I mean, it's admirable that you were able to do that, get your degree, you know, all while still playing and doing these other things and, you know, becoming a lawyer. And with that, like, but that's a, that's a cool hack that you said that you could live in the city under your, if you're, if you're in the school, you could live there. Yeah. You're probably with your, um, you know, tuition money or whatever. And uh, kind of just hang in, in the van and study. And then at the end of the end of the day, if you pass the test, you're good to go. Free housing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And did you uh, end up, you signed, you guys got signed to Epic. Were you working for the label at the time or like where, like where yeah, does I'll- music kind of, so you obviously took a little bit of a detour, not detour, but you got hired on as a lawyer. Like you were a working lawyer, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, I was uh, working at the label and then kind of people discovered that I was doing music and ended up signing to that label, um, which was definitely a crazy experience. Yeah. Wow. And then your, you start your, your current project now, what year was that? Des Rocks started in 2018. Okay. And I, yeah. I did see that the hiatus was due to, you know, your buddies was got pretty sick and I hope that he's doing all right. I know he, he from what I read, he has contributed to some of your Des Rocks project. Mm-hmm which is cool. Um, so you start that and you just go a totally different route, the, the sound and, and the music. Well, it wasn't so much about going a different route as it was about just like doubling down on myself and okay. what I loved and what I truly wanted to do in a setting where there was no compromise and there was no other half. Um, so Des Rocks is, is kind of like a creative dictatorship. And I think it's, um, it is just a complete representation of who I am as an artist mm-hmm. um, and what I want to say to the world musically and artistically. Mm-hmm. And what would you say, like, you know, you start this thing and are you back? It's, you probably have to go back to square one, right? I mean, you built up secret weapons. You said it was in the age of streaming, but like to have this presence and have a major label backing you and now you're back to, square one was it hard to kind of rebuild yourself back up yeah it was it was extremely difficult you know you the music industry is all about like being hot you know mm-hmm. and it, getting dropped from a label having somebody with severe health issues these are kind of viewed as signs of weakness and as artistically invalidating mm-hmm. and that is an extremely fucked up and difficult thing to overcome sure and you just have to believe in yourself and in your art and your vision and you have to keep moving forward and weather all the hard times like those and you know nobody will respond to your texts nobody will respond to your phone calls you know what i mean your emails it's tough you know i got dropped by my whole team like my management team my agent my label just because my best friend was sick Mm-hmm. And uh, it was an extremely dark time for me, a very hard time to navigate because I had gone to that point where you could quit your day job and you could make music. Um, and out of that darkness was born a lot of the core beliefs of everything that I stand for today. Mm-hmm. And obviously you're, 
you were able to do very well for yourself and, and people respond to what you're doing now. And uh, you knew, you know, it wasn't one of those things where it let, I mean, it sounds like it was obviously rough, but you were able to, you know, persevere through that and, and start this project and, and have success with it. Thank you. And, you know, so much of, of what I stand for is about perseverance. Um, and it's, it's not just that one incident in general. It's just the idea of keeping going when you can give up. And that applies to mental health struggles. That applies to career things. That applies to every facet of life. And I think people just need um, to be reminded of that often and to know um, that like through the community that we've built, um, that that message remains paramount. And it's very hard to keep track of it when times are tough and when times are dark. Um, mm. But keeping track of it is, is so important to me. For sure. Because you could have easily just said, you know what? All right, I'm going to just get another job as a lawyer. I have my degree, law degree and I can just do music maybe as like the hobby. I'll be in a garage band yeah. type situation. I mean, also like I was miserable too. Like, you know, when I was having day jobs, like I would literally like hide in the bathrooms and hide in the stairwells and with a laptop and be producing music and writing songs. Oh, wow. Um, and it was like this closet thing. And every single night, it's what I would work on till three in the morning, just burning the candlestick at both ends. So I, you know, part of me was like, yeah, you can go back, take a step back, but I, I rather just plunge on forward into the unknown. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's tough. And also a lot of that like comes out on stage every night. Like I'm just so grateful to be there, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What would you say like a kind of an early victory for Death Rocks was? Um, I'd say opening for the Rolling Stones. Was a, a oh, that's a pretty one. big one. <laughs> yeah, Tell I mean, me about that. Definitely a lot of validation, you know? Oh, um, sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, we just got seen by somebody from the team and was asked to join the tour by the band. And it was it was amazing. It was it was really like a fairy tale moment for sure. And did you play in the States? Like, where was that tour? Uh, that was in the U.S. We, we did the Philadelphia show. That's so insane. What was that? I mean, to play to a stadium full of people, like... I, was that a different approach than a CBGB show? No, I mean, I always say I play this, the same show to 80 people as I do to 80,000. And, mm -hmm. and I, I, I agree with that completely. Like maybe the set list will change and, and some of the moments will change. But as far as how hard I bring it, that will never change. Mm -hmm. um, but the show itself was without a doubt surreal. Um, you know, just a few months earlier, I was telling people like I want to play stadiums and being laughed out of, every office and every label in new york city and then that happened and i said i told you fuckers i wasn't fucking around you know what I mean? <laughs> you know you gotta believe in yourself and sometimes you have to be almost like delusional in that belief mm -hmm. um but you have to believe in yourself if you're an artist you know it's, it's so important when when you played with the the rolling stones did you have your first ep out yet uh yeah just one though yeah maybe i'd started to maybe release a second ep at that point i think okay so you had music out and, and, but still, I mean, to have that moment, was that something that drew a bunch of attention to you? Like from these 80,000 people, like well, that must've been a big kind of reward to that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't view anything though as like a reward or a finish line for me. It's all mm -hmm. one long timeline and, and multiverse. And I feel like I exist in all of them at once. So for me, it's all part of one, spiritual journey in a sense you know I, I my feeling when i finished that show was like oh shit it's like you know that was fun but like now 
I'm taking a $12 bolt bus home from Philadelphia to New York. You know what I mean? Like right. it's gut checking and, and so much of Des Rocks and, and my art and my personality itself is about like being larger than life, but simultaneously um, being like ultra grounded and ultra real. I was going to say, that's awesome. Yeah, it's Instead like, of having a big head to be like, oh, I played with the stones and like just kind of, you know, I love how that you you approach it that way. It sounds yeah, like man, you approach it that way. Port Authority at three in the morning, you know what I mean? Like, and I walked home, you know? So it's like, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's so much equal parts like this escapism and this fantasy and this like just unimaginable glory that I'm always chasing as a performer and as an artist, but equally being just such a, a real motherfucker and being open and honest and transparent and grounded, like those things are, are equally important to me. And that's, I think, what makes everything I do as Desrocks a very unique recipe. Mm-hmm. And with, uh, so when you released your second EP, that was towards the end of 2019, uh, did you have an opportunity to tour on that album or tour on that, that uh, EP or did the co- did COVID kind of land itself in the midst of that? Like, where were you when COVID hit and especially being in New York where it was like insanely gnarly? Yeah, 2019, I was um, touring with Muse in Europe and um, it's huge. that was a great tour. And I did a tour with an artist named K-Flay. I did a tour with... Oh, I love K-Flay. I've interviewed her a couple of times for the show. Yeah, I did a tour of the Struts, which was really fun. Oh man, I did see that, and I, not to just name drop, but um, <laughs> those dudes, uh, I was the first one to play them on the radio. I've been friends with those guys for like six years, seven years now. Um, when I did radio, you know, a, a while back, uh, I played. Um, could have been me, and then it, it blew up from there. It was just a cool. Oh, wow, I love amazing. those guys. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah, it was the first person to play them and it was just became, it was so cool to see. And then, then now the song's in like sing too and stuff. It's just, I love those guys to death and that's so cool that you got to tour with them. Yeah. Oh, they're the best. They're, they're awesome. Did um, you do a, a tour in the U S with them where, where I probably saw you open for them. <laughs> if you toured with them here. I mean, if you saw me, you would remember me. I'll tell you that right now. Okay. Then maybe I didn't see your show. I, I did two. Uh, I did two separate us runs two small ones i think it was like eight shows and then eight shows okay um not uh, what you said you what san, san diego? diego i was in san diego i didn't do san diego with them okay. um and then i did a big 2020 tour with the glorious sons and oh rad february and march two months and then i came home march 1st and everything shut down um so i was touring right up until the deadline pretty much wow okay yeah. and then how does that affect uh, the next release um, well, I think there was just several months of confusion and, and disarray mm-hmm. and I was just kind of putting out singles and like just really experimenting with my sound and, and put out some records that were like, you know, kind of artistic leaps and then very fun for me to make and create. Um, and then that was kind of like in, in between period leading up to an EP called this is our life, which is my mm-hmm. third and final EP. This is our life EP. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, you signed with 300 and it was that, or, or was that a deal that happened during the, that time period of COVID? Yeah. During COVID. Yes. Oh, wow. Well, I, lo- I mean, that's such a great label. How did they approach you or how did you approach them? How did that happen? Um, somebody there, uh, one of the senior A&R people had reached out to me um, and had been a fan for a while. And we made that EP together as well as the album. Okay. And was the EP, so the EP was something you had started during that time period of COVID and what, with that, how much of 
of uh, the the full album was written in that time period as well, if any of it. I mean, pretty much almost all of it. There's one or two songs that I had been workshopping for a long time before that, before I even started Des Rocks, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's that's like the rough timeline. Okay, cool. And you have a new song out now? I do. A new song called Manic Memories that came out two weeks ago. Tell me about Manic Memories. Manic Memories is um, one that I've also been working on for a long time. Like I feel like a lot of the songs that are coming up are ones I've been tweaking for a long, long time. Um, and now I'm finally like, okay, I think it's the production's right. I think the vocal takes are right. And I'll let that out. Um, Nomadic Memories is about the trauma of the past and not letting it define who you are in the present and the future. I love that. Thanks. And w- with this song, um, is it going to be, it sounds like you have other records recorded. Was this going to be part of a project you have coming out? We're not um, sure yet. It's still kind of undefined as to what the body of work itself looks like, but there's just an absolute ton of music on the way. Cool. Very, mm-hmm. very cool. And you just got did a little short, uh, not a short run, but you did a handful of shows and wrapped up in uh, a couple of weeks ago, right? Or last week? Last week, I just did 36 headline shows. Um, That's so crazy. Yeah, yeah. And Exit In, you played here in Nashville too, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Exit In, yep. Very, very cool, man. Well, uh, I love the record, uh, the new one, Manic Memories, everything you've done prior. And thank you so much for your time today. This has been awesome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I have one more question, but you've kind of been answering it throughout the whole conversation, but I'm still going to ask it anyway. Uh, Mm -hmm. Do you have any advice for aspiring artists? Yeah, be yourself. Don't compare yourself to others. You can't compare your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 12. And also something that I live and breathe and die on is that your odds of success in the music industry are the same if you try and emulate somebody else or if you just do yourself. So you might as well just do yourself because your individuality is the one thing you have to offer as an artist to both the world and to both the creative landscape. So do yourself, be yourself, write what you know, write what inspires you. Um, That's kind of a lot of advice, but I live and die by it.